If your happy ending is no more joint pain, please try Sierra Sil with a money-back guarantee. It's all-natural joint pain relief that's changed our lives. Sierra, like the mountains, and Sil, like silicon. Go to sierrasil.com. Use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and thank you for joining me for this personal drift story. Made possible by Envy Pillow. Created by two amazing Canadian RNs who've partnered here with me. I've rested my weary head on an Envy Pillow for about 20 years now. It started because of stress-related neck pain, and I've been in love ever since. Learn more in the morning at Envy, E-N-V-Y, pillow.com. In my book, Morning Has Broken, Love, Loss, and Reclaiming Joy, I tell the story of watching for signs from our daughter, Lauren, who passed away unexpectedly in her sleep at age 24 in 2015, the very morning after celebrating her first Mother's Day. As sad as it is, it is a tale of love and loss, as you would guess from the title, but also one about the ways in which my husband, Rob, and I have moved forward through our grief, never over, but through, and found ways to embrace our new lives with hope, clarity, and always searching for joy. Before I tell you my story of symbols, from birds and aromas to license plates and tiny 10-cent pieces, let me ask you to relax your body and your mind. Let all of yourself be at peace. Take a few deep breaths and just be. Your eyes gently closed, your jaw relaxed, and your arms and legs just heavy on the bed that comforts and envelops you right now. Let the thoughts that come in drift out again. Everything can wait because this time is for you. So, take a deep breath and exhale. One more time. In and out. Good. This is a story about finding hope in the midst of grief. And thank you for letting me share this story and these signs with you. Maybe you'll have found a few yourself. And if you're ready, let's drift. When we first received word that our daughter had died, news that came to us just as I was about to begin a morning radio show, not in our home studio in a busy, sleepy city, but in Jamaica with a ballroom full of tired but happy listeners. And I wondered, as I did for months and months afterward, how it was that I did not feel in my body the moment of her departure from this earthly plane. After all, I had recalled so clearly 
the first flutterings of her when she was growing inside me. I knew her every move, and of course, for the first few years, kept a close eye on her waking, her sleeping, her steps, and all of the momentous minutiae that every parent watches with such pride and astonishment. So how had I not had a sign, a twinge, a moment that shot me out of that hotel bed, even before the 4 a.m. alarm, that was to rouse me and begin my day, my job, of doing the same for a radio audience thousands of miles away. How did I not know or feel it in my body? You've heard, as have I, of parents who are so completely connected to their children, or of twins who have that invisible fiber optics link to a sibling. They feel what they're going through. They know if something is wrong. But that wasn't me. And so for months, I would awaken and wonder, was this the moment? Is this when her heart stopped? As time went on, I began searching for a connection, for signs that she was with us. Eventually, I would settle for coins. But in those early times, the gentle and not-so-subtle nudges that she was sending were unmistakable. It was the author Nancy Thayer who wrote, The universe is always speaking to us, sending us little messages, causing coincidences and serendipities, reminding us to stop, to look around, to believe in something else, something more. I'd like to share with you a few stories of that something more to which Nancy refers as they happen to us. One morning, as Rob and I were lying in bed, our two aging dogs curled up peacefully between us. Rob took off his headphones to share with me the piece he had put together to play at Lauren's memorials. We were grateful to have many high school recordings of Lauren singing with an orchestra in a powerful and confident voice, with maturity well beyond her years, she had chosen to sing one day in a recording studio, a selection that I learned as she grew up during Rob's and my time with an 11-piece band. It was the Mamas and Papas' dream, a little dream of me. She'd overheard me at home as I rehearsed the 60s classic for a cruise on which we were to perform. I'll never forget that opening night concert on stage, as the Mediterranean pitched the small ship so ferociously that I had to take off my heels just to stay upright. I was nervous, and fortifying my confidence with wine beforehand didn't help me to keep my balance either, I can confess to you now. As the band launched into the intro, the lyrics I'd studied began to escape me. But I only needed to look down at the front row table, and there was six-year-old Lauren singing along, mouthing the words, and willing me to remember. 
I did, as I do now. I remember to dream a little dream of her. During the instrumental break of Lauren's recording, done some ten years after my bumpy cruise ship rendition, Rob had edited in a section of our daughter's voice. Clear and proud, in a spoken interview I'd done with her prior to her first Mother's Day, and it included her making her baby Colin laugh. The timing of the clip was perfect, the whole piece heart-wrenchingly wonderful. As I listened to Rob's editing work, the mixing collaboration partnering his talents with those of the daughter with whom he was so close, the one whose hair he had braided, the girl who had walked hand-in-hand with him to school every morning while Mommy was on the radio. I could no longer hold in my sorrow. But then, as I sobbed, I smelled something in the air. It was the sweet scent of fresh baking. Cookies, perhaps? After a moment of wondering if I'd finally said goodbye to what was left of my mind, I said to Rob, do you smell that? And to my amazement, he said yes, he did. As so many of us tend to do when something almost inexplicable happens, we tried to make sense of it. Obviously, someone around us was baking or had brought something to us. But we had no neighbors near enough to explain the comforting odor. Could it have been a visitor bearing treats? No one came by our house that May day. We have cameras. So there was no explaining that soothing scent logically. We chose to acknowledge and accept that it had been a message from Lauren, who loved to bake when she was at that cottage. Goodness knows, I rarely did. And once we realized that she had wrapped her arms around the two of us as we cried, we could feel and cherish her presence and her comfort. She was holding us tight, holding us together. Then, just a few days later, a loud message came from Lauren in the form of a personalized license plate. We would spend many of those grief-shrouded days after our daughter's passing on the road, driving the five hours to where her husband and baby were living. As Rob took the wheel, Silent and deep in his own thoughts, I would answer emails on my computer or gaze out the window, trying to make sense of the world as it now just continued to turn. So it was Rob who spotted the license plate on a white car that passed us in the left lane. It had on it the two words that our daughter had used to describe her experiences with motherhood. As that car overtook us, I was called by my husband to look up from my laptop to see it, because, as it happens, I had just noticed on my computer that at that very moment, I was getting a poke from our late daughter on Facebook. Okay, I thought, that was strange. But I gasped when I saw what Rob was pointing out, for in blue letters on that plate, 
were pure joy. Those words that we heard in that interview clip of her talking during the instrumental break on Dream a Little Dream that had brought me to a breakdown that morning a few days earlier. Clearly, we thought, actually, we knew she was telling us that she was there with us and would be holding us up as we continued on this devastating part of our journey. The part that would be about her, but without her. As time went on, weeks, then months and years, I chose to see signs and recognize them as a god wink or wave from Lauren. Some people look for and see various birds who are so barely bound by the laws of gravity as a possible tie between heaven and earth. Few birds rank more highly in the spiritual batting order than cardinals. Seeing these gorgeous red birds is often interpreted as a sign from our loved ones that they are still with us. Native Americans are said to perceive them as messengers from the spirit world, signs of love, devotion, courtship, and monogamy because they mate for life. I lost track of how many times, after my mother's passing, I would be on the phone with my dad, and sure enough, a rare but welcome cardinal would hang out at the bird feeder mere feet away from me, and I'd say to dad that mom had popped in to say hello, for they too had mated for life, together for 56 years, before our dear Maureen's spirit took flight. On the first anniversary of Lauren's passing, Rob and I went for a walk on a country road, hoping to see not a cardinal, but an oriole. I guess I was testing our girl to see if she could do some magic and have one of the rarest visitors in our neck of the woods make an appearance. I need not have doubted her. As we talked and strolled, I heard its song before I even saw it. The oriole was calling loudly to me to look at it, and I craned my neck to establish where its song was coming from. And there it was, perched high in a cedar, a small shock of orange against the dark, dense green backdrop of the branches and the gray gloom of that day's appropriately shaded skies. <sighs> then, of course, there are hummingbirds. I've always thought it funny as I watched the muted, almost khaki-colored birds at our swinging feeder, how we see them as such lovely and spiritual little creatures. Yet if one is feeding and another approaches, you can be sure they'll be fighting each other for a solo spot at the sugar water. Feisty, yes. But there's no doubt that hummingbirds are also a blessing to behold. Some believe that the quickness of their movements and their sudden appearance and disappearance remind us that joy can be just around the corner and equally fleeting. Others say that their easy movement reminds us to be ready to change at any moment, to be flexible and accept with a happy heart any possibilities. 
Still others, infatuated with the brilliance of their colors, say hummingbirds remind us to seek out the magic in life, while the elliptical movement of their wings in a constant blurry figure eight can symbolize eternity and infinity. Yes, there is a lot to unpack in that tiny bird. For me, it holds even more significance. A message so loud, so undeniable, that I had to pay attention. If you've seen the cover of my book, you may remember that the light blue background is graced front and center with a hummingbird. Initially, the artists at HarperCollins had sent me a mock-up that featured a lovely orange and brown butterfly in that place of honor. But I believe it was Lauren who nudged me to use a different sign of hope altogether. It was the second anniversary of Lauren's passing, and Rob and I had booked a getaway at a bed and breakfast. After a pleasant night of rest and reflection, we were putting our bags into the car and getting ready to pull away. But as I stood there, waiting for Rob to finish loading, a hummingbird approached me and hovered right in front of my face. I didn't time it. I think it was about five seconds. One, two, three, four, five. It's as though, as it thrummed and buzzed, before it took off just as quickly as it had appeared, it was saying, pay attention, I need you to see me. So, after breathlessly telling Rob about my very special visitor, I did give it some thought, and I listened. When we got home from that brief sojourn, I contacted the art folks and told them the cover had to be a hummingbird. But not just any bird. I found a picture online that resembled my special persistent visitor. It had to be one with that magenta, that purpley pink shade of electric fuchsia that I had seen right before my eyes. And so it was that Lauren's bird, that magical visitor who had something to tell me, ended up on the cover of Morning Has Broken. Perhaps the insect equivalent to the hummingbird is, for some, the butterfly, for its beauty and famous rebirthing process, from caterpillar to larva to the free flutterer we know and love. The butterfly symbolizes change and hope, but another insect also carries with it a heavy basket of symbolism. You see, for years, I corresponded with a woman who was grieving her dear young son. She honored him by giving others who were in grief beautiful dragonfly keychains that she made and mailed. Why a dragonfly? There's a touching poem about this special insect, but the gist of it is that the dragonfly is a symbol of change, of transformation, and self-realization. Its meaning? Possibly to teach us all to have faith amid difficulties. And isn't that something we all need to hear now and then? Where we live, 
Eagles hover on breezes over the ocean and rain on high from the evergreens, their brilliant white heads making them easy to spot and a joy to observe. Eagles have come to symbolize victory, speed, an all-seeing father figure, and so many other positive associations. When one passes our windows, we stop everything to watch. Living in a place with eagles, oh, and geese and swans, you won't be surprised that I find a lot of feathers. Although they aren't for me, a great many consider feathers to be signs from our loved ones as well. They can mean freedom, transcendence, and even, perhaps, that an angel is near. I've also found myself open to signs in the form of dimes. So let me give you my two, make that ten cents worth on why. A great many people believe that when spirits want to move or place objects, they will use what is easiest from a weight standpoint. Feathers, and of course, dimes. Yes, I've found bigger coins in my time. But the dimes are what touch me most deeply, and a simple Google search turns up countless poems about what their discovery is said to mean. What they come down to is this. Something or someone is trying to get your attention. With a small coin being easily moved by a spirit, they say, just as is electrical energy more easily maneuverable, so dimes are tied in with messages from beyond. There was one in particular that stands out in my memory. As I was visiting an aunt and uncle who knew Lauren and shared our grief, I was sitting on a white love seat. Now, before I sat, had there been anything on that cushion, a fleck of lint or a dog hair, I know with absolute certainty that I would have seen it. But as I got up from that love seat after our tearful visit, where we quietly envied them, their daughter and grandchildren who also had stopped by, there was upon that seat a shiny dime. Logic probably tells you it could have slipped from anyone's pocket, as coins tend to do. But I choose to believe that Lauren was with us there that day telling us that our move away from our home city and closer to this couple and their mountain view was indeed a wise one. And something Rob and I had to do if our healing was truly to begin. So why do many of us believe in dimes? The better question for me is, why not? And who does it hurt to trust that we're not alone? that those who have left us are still around. There have been so many stories of people in grief who just keep finding dimes during their darkest moments. For me now, it's on the rare occasion I'm out shopping. Just a few days before writing this story for Drift, I found three dimes within the course of an hour. I was out running errands with Colin's new mom. And I knew Lauren was pushing me forward to continue to be supportive 
in any way possible to help keep Rob's and my promise to our daughter to always be there for her family. For months and years after our only child left us, I would scoop up any coin I would find, wipe it on my pants, and surreptitiously tuck it in my bra, nice and safe. Then, when I'd undress later, dimes, nickels, quarters, even pennies would tumble to the floor. I would retrieve them and place them in a delicate, heart-shaped dish with a ceramic L attached to it by a strand of raffia. One day not too long ago, when our now elementary school-aged grandson became old enough to cherish a piggy bank we gave him and excitedly add to its contents, I handed to him every one of those coins. I felt I should pass them on and amplify the magic of every discovery by seeing the exuberance on his face. At this sweet age, he really doesn't know or care about the difference between a dollar and a dime, so each one is treated as a treasure. And to me, finding them felt the same way. I will always keep looking for dimes as a reminder to myself to stay open, to remember that although the years are adding up and our time without our daughter ticks by with indifference and practicality, she is never far from us. She guides me with the question I'll expect one day when our souls reunite. What did you do with your life? The one that I hope I'll be able to answer without hesitation. I'll say I never forgot you. I lived my life to honor you. I cared for your dad and your family. And I tried to make you proud. One day at a time. One dime at a time. Thank you for letting me share that. Now, drift off. And sweet dreams.